We're back for another edition of the Half Court Press Podcast. I'm John Niatawa, joined by Sam McEwen, here to talk some local hoops, Creighton and Nebraska. The Jays have been off for a week and don't return to action until Saturday. That's a couple days away from when we're recording this podcast. Sam, your team, Nebraska, the team you cover, Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you want to claim the Huskers at the moment, but uh, yeah, they're, just, they're coming off a, a, a disappointing showing against Ohio State. 90 to 54 was the final uh, on Wednesday, a day ago. So we'll start with them since that's, that's the most recent game uh, we have between these two teams. And it, and it wasn't good. Um, yeah. What was your reaction? My first reaction is this is a year where I think Nebraska and Creighton would have loved to have switched leagues. Um, I know Creighton loves the Big East, but how could Creighton not want to compete in the Big Ten this year? I mean, every team just kicks a lot, a lot of ass. I mean, there are so many good players in the Big Ten right now. And um, Nebraska, so some of what's going on at Nebraska is defined by the competition. Yeah. And Creighton can handle that right now. They're, you know, they're, they could go beat Michigan on Christmas Day. I think Nebraska, which actually played well against Michigan on Christmas, doesn't quite have the, the juice. And then when they came off a game that I think they really put a lot into winning and thought they could have won and they hadn't <coughs> screwed up late in the game, um, I think they just kind of hit a wall against Ohio State. You know, it, it just wasn't uh, – they had some shots – uh, not fall early that were pretty good looks. They're on the road. I think they had practice fairly hard, but I, I also think that Hoiberg is starting to see that his players don't necessarily have a ton to do. And so they're just coming into the gym and they're, they're maybe not off their legs enough. Like they're not, uh, you know, they, they're just, they're weary, they're a little leg weary and just maybe a little weary of, of trying to put a basketball through the hoop. And sometimes, and you know this as a as a you know as a writer and as a podcaster, John, uh, you have to hold on to the words you write or the the words you speak because you want to make sure that you keep them for a time when it counts, you know. And I think I think Nebraska is a little worn out, and and I think you saw that Wednesday night. That's not to make any excuses. A thirty six point loss is the worst in Fred Hoiberg's playing and coaching career. Uh, so that was that was rough, but I but I think you're seeing a team that's a little weary, and a little worn out, and they played a really physical team in Ohio State. It wasn't a finesse squad, um, and Michigan's a little finesse. They're good, and I think they're actually a little bit better than Ohio State, but they're not going to beat you up. Well, Ohio State beat them up, and especially on you know the offensive boards, and you know they shove and they push and. You know, Nebraska tried driving into the lane, and Ohio State was there to strip at it every single time. And I, I just think Nebraska hadn't played a team like that this year. And I think they kind of got punched in the mouth, and they took it. They kind of looked at the blood coming out of their mouth, and uh, they didn't have an answer. And when you don't have enough answers in a league like this and you're in this grind, um, what happened can happen. And it was bad, man. It went from 13 to 13. Uh, which was at the 13-15 mark to 70-29. to So Ohio State went on a 57-16 to run over the course of about 23 minutes of clock time. So it wasn't like, a, it wasn't like oh, you know, 37, the last 37 minutes of the game. No, it was almost like a half. 13-15 to 9-44 of 
you know, I think the second, the second half, um, is 70 to 20, it was 50, 57 to 16. And that's just, you know, Ohio state could have, could have picked its score if they wanted. Um, and I think that to me is a team that's been run through and is just weary and tired. That's what I saw. Right. And that may be the case. And one of the things about Ohio state is they'll expose that fact, that, that factor, you know, especially when you're talking about the, the way it's they too play. bad Creighton didn't get to play them. I know there was, they probably were supposed to, but Ohio state. Yeah. Um, that was one of the teams. I mean, they, they, they played them in the Gavit games recently, um, but they had a big 10 home game. So it could have been Ohio state. It could have been Iowa. Could have been Michigan. State. Anyway, but yeah, like they, they, we, we've seen Chris Holtman's defense against Greg McDermott's offense though. When, when yes. Holtman was at Butler. And one of the things that like, when I watched those games, what, one of the reasons why Creighton had some success against Holtman was that the Jays were always really committed to moving the ball. Um, if you got a decent look, cool. Let's keep it moving until we get a good look and then turn that good look into a great look. So that, that Creighton was like really committed to just focusing on um, working on offense, like knowing that, hey, we're going to have to, it might take longer than we're comfortable with, but we're going to have to really move the ball and move this defense around to get a great shot. And that's one of the issues that Nebraska's facing is trying to find uh, that little extra, whether it's the extra pass, the extra, extra pass. Um, and and one of the things that I, 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 I always enjoy listening to Greg McDermott talk offense because obviously he's one of the best in the game at it. He, he talks a lot about, um, you know, maybe you have a mismatch, but don't, it's not necessarily advantageous to attack that mismatch without first reversing the ball and getting this scenario where if, if I'm a guard and, and a big man is guarding me, uh, wait until that big man has a close out and try to take away my three point shot, then drive him as opposed to sort of like backing out and dribbling and, and letting sort of sizing up the big man. And he's kind of getting his, in his defensive stance and he can kind of, uh, find a way to stay in front. Well, make him move first, yeah, and then cool. and then go at him. And I feel like those are those are the types of like little things that I just feel like Nebraska hasn't, you know, found yet. Um, working great. together as a unit in, instead of saying like, "Oh, let's just go." I, I got this. I got this mismatch. Let me go, or I have this window to the lane. I'm going to go all the way to the rim instead of let's go three fourths of the way. Stop. Kick it back out. Let let my teammate then attack a bad closeout or or shoot the jump shot. So this, it's interesting, Sam. I I thought that you'd see Nebraska maybe be a little bit more advanced in its sort of sophistication offensively in year two under Fred Horberg, but I guess I probably just underestimated the impact of new guys and a new team and players coming out of a redshirt year and having to um, figure this out on the fly against elite competition as you mentioned with the big 10 being as i mean the depth is incredible in that league so it was i mean obviously if you're a husker fan it's really disappointing to watch and i i feel like a lot of fans are probably just like throwing i'm ready to just throw my hands up i'm done with this team but i am interested to see because i know what hoiberg has done what his track record is i mean his teams are we're always notorious for sharing the ball and creating good looks or turning good looks into great looks. And I just think when the more time he has with this group, I got to imagine you're going to see improvement. Um, 
he's 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 got too much uh, there's too much evidence in, in his past to, to suggest otherwise so oh, yeah. disappointing game but uh now where do they go from here that that to me is what i'm curious i want to see how much growth they can get with this group well i think maybe they need the return of Derek walker and that's not i mean that you don't want to put anything on on that in the presumption that they're going to start winning games when a guy that was, you know, like a bench player at Tennessee comes back. But as it stands right now, Nebraska really doesn't have a low post threat. And in the sense that, okay, you can live without that if you've got a bunch of elite guards who can shoot. But, you know, Ivan Wadrago is actually playing pretty well. He just limited and what he can do is a score. And so. Yeah, no rim pressure. Right. You know, like they don't. The only, they don't the only rim you... pressure is Delano Banton driving to the hoop or Teddy Allen doing one of his angular, you know, things that he does, which are cool. But you can do that about three times in a game. Like there's no anchoring presence down there. And and Duardo Andre's not ready physically. I mean, he's coming off COVID and he's a true freshman and he's played four years of basketball. And so. Derek Walker really probably will help them um, to anchor themselves and and to really sit into who they are as a as a as a team. But uh, you know, and then you've got the issue of I mean, they really are missing a lot of shots. I mean, they're shooting thirty percent from three point range, and not all of those shots are bad looks. I mean, um, I think it's gotten to the point where um, Thor is hitting twenty one point four percent of his threes. And Lat Mayan is hitting 25%. And Lat's the guy that, you know, they talked up in the preseason is right. well, we did the 100-shot drill and he hit 89 of them. And, and that's the guy that they probably need to, to dial the work the workload back a little bit in practice because I think they're feeling like he's just, he's just overworking. And I don't think these guys have a lot to do. Um, they're in COVID protocol. Uh, so... They can't really go anywhere. They can't hang out and go, you know, they can't really like get away from it. And so I think their choice between staring at the four walls inside their house and going to the gym is going to the gym. But I think you can you can actually shoot yourself out of thing. I mean, you can actually shoot yourself into a slump because if you, if you, if your best two hours of the week were spent at 11 PM at the gym and you hit 14 in a row, you know, sometimes you want to keep some of that energy in those legs for, for the game. So I, I think a few of these guys have worked too hard, which is kind of goofy. And then um, I'm not sure that Fred ever had a player like Teddy Allen at Iowa State. I think, I mean, people always say, well, what about Royce White? But I think Royce was a, was a better player, A, and he was, and he was a better passer. Yeah. And I think Teddy's got a – Teddy's – I'm not knocking Teddy here. They brought him on. They brought him into the program. That that's that's on. I mean, Nebraska made that choice. Teddy's a, a high major college basketball player. There's no question about that. He's the best player on the team. Either him or Banton is. But is he a great fit for what Nebraska does? Well, he has 13 assists on the season. So you tell me, 13 assists in 10 games. That's you know. I mean, what you tell me, John? <laughs> Royce Royce White was a phenomenal passer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay, like he was. I don't want to use. I don't want to use that guy. The only reason I bring that name up is because Royce had a past 
off the court. Gotcha. But on the court, they weren't the same player. They're just not the same. Yeah. Well, he kind of was a centerpiece, and, and Allen right. is the centerpiece now. So I, I get I get yeah. the idea. Um, no, man, that I, I think that's just the issue that's going through the team. It's just trying to find, figure out a way to get the ball movement and offensively. And, and your point about the rim pressure is, is a big one. Getting easy shots opens things up. <laughs> and it makes those three pointers seem a, there's there's less pressure on you to feel like you got to hit that because you know hey well we'll just get something inside easy if this doesn't go in so just for example Creighton has uh, obviously Zagorowski has 45 assists but Creighton has um, Damian Jefferson has 28 Ballock has 23 Antoine Jones has 19 Denzel Mahoney has 15 and Sharif Missile has 15 assists okay. It, it, what, now let me tell you about Nebraska. Delano Benton has 47, and the next guy has got 14. And that's Thor and Kobe. That that tells you a lot right there. Like yeah. it's, it's Benton has so much pressure on him to do all the assisting, so to speak. And Nebraska's played, to, so, so we're clear, one more game than Creighton. So Nebraska has 129 assists. Creighton has 160 in nine games. So... You know, I, I think they just they're just working through that stuff, and you know, I I'm not sure Nebraska fans love it when I compare the two programs because they're not in the same place, they're just not. Maybe five years from now they will be, but um, but I think that underlines Hoiberg and McDermott's offenses are similar enough in some ways that they're ultimately looking for the same kinds of things. Yes. And I think Hoiberg would look at Creighton's team and go, hey, I'll go coach those guys. They're fine. You know? And I think McDermott would probably look at Nebraska's team right now and go, yeah, that probably wouldn't be the team I'd coach. I'd probably recruit it a little differently. So um, that's kind of where it's at. It, yeah, it's hard It's hard to not compare a little bit just because statistically it may it might look different on the court because there's just a different uh, brand of player that Hoiberg's going off after versus who Greg McDermott goes after. But when when you lay it all out statistically at the end of the day, like it's gonna look very similar when Horberg has it going offensively as compared to what McDermott has with Creighton right now. So it's it's hard to not just sort of peek at the template, which Creighton has, the blueprint, and say, All right, this is where Nebraska is deficient or this is where it needs to, you know, to rise. So I get yeah. It's just it's just like you said, it's 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 a ways off. And, uh, well, Fred Hoiberg put this roster together with, with obviously the assistance of Matt Abdul-Massey. So there's really, you can't really complain about not having the personnel. You brought this person, I mean, you overhauled the whole, the whole program to get the type of players in that you wanted. And it it just hasn't gone well. And it, it's going to be really tough this year, obviously with how good this league is. I mean, even Northwestern, man, like, (laughs) You yeah. thought Northwestern would be a team that you could uh, steal a win from. Oh, yeah. Well, Northwestern, you know, I watched them play Iowa and Ohio State. And, you know, if Northwestern's hitting shots, which they did against both teams, yeah, they're going to be tough. Uh, they don't play great defense. But, yeah, the league's unbelievable. I mean, Michigan State's 0-3 and a legit 0-3, not like some BS, oh, they lost on flukes. I mean, they got their butts kicked by Northwestern and Minnesota. Those games were yeah. close. So, um, you and even Wisconsin took struggles it to is evidence of how good the league is because Michigan State is not rolling a crap team out there, um, and they're still getting rolled. 
And that's who Nebraska has next on Saturday. It's Michigan State. Um, Bad time to get them. Right. <laughs> on a three-game losing streak. Mm-hmm. And now you got to play uh, the Spartans. So we'll see how it goes. And, I mean, well, it's not going to be well. – <laughs> Probably not well. I will say this. They got Michigan at the right time. Michigan hadn't played in 12 days on Christmas, Christmas night. That's the time to go get a win. I mean, Nebraska had all of the chips on their in their favor there. Um, you know, they had played two games in a week. Michigan hadn't played in 12 days or something. And then Michigan comes in with like 25 guys. And I'm not, I'm not kidding you. They put out 29 chairs, John. And I'm like, who are all these guys? How many coaches do they have? They had like 12 guys on the bench who were coaching or something. And then they had like the NBA whole, style, man. The Juwan Howard, man. He's got the I'm NBA. Serious. And he's pretty cool and collected on the sideline. Like he's not, you know, he'll, he'll call out a play, but he's pretty, you know, he's pretty relaxed. And I'm like, I'm watching Juwan Howard. I'm like, I'm going to watch 60 guy, games of this guy in college. Um, but he's got it set up to where his bench the guys that never even take off the warm-up jerseys, they all stand and they're like a bench mob. And I'm like, that's smart. That's smart. And they and they 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 affected the game. I think. Did they? Yeah. And but that was Juwan Howard coaching because that wouldn't have been something that those kids would have necessarily thought of themselves. But they had 30 dudes over there, and Nebraska didn't have that many. <laughs> they have like 20. And honestly, I think on Christmas they just they didn't seem they seemed less jazzed about it. Um, you know, and that, 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 that piece I think has to change. I thought they could have stole one against Michigan. And then I thought last night it was going to be hard. And I, I don't like the, I, you know, going into Michigan state, that one's going to be tough because Michigan state's going to be hungry as hell. And they're going to, they're going to try to, they're going to watch the Ohio state taping. We're just going to, we're going to beat them up and then eventually they'll roll in. But anyway, that's the Nebraska side of it. How's it doing? Well, I think that they're, they feel like they're in a pretty good place after having a week off and allowing themselves to sort of really mentally reset, sort of mentally reset after uh, what was it? Six games in 16 days. Yeah. So I think that that it had, a, it took a toll physically, but I think the, the bigger toll was mentally just sort of being isolated and having to test. And I mean, all the things that we t- we've talked about repeatedly and that athletes are dealing with <laughs> particularly in college Mm-hmm. So that was wearing on the guys and they needed time off. So some of them went home, some of them brought family in, but they had three days off to celebrate Christmas and take a break. But now they're back at it and uh, we'll see. They've had some practice time to devote to themselves to kind of work on a few things. So one of the things Coach McDermott mentioned was was pace mm-hmm. and being a little bit more efficient and aggressive in transition, which is kind of one of their staples, obviously, but they've, they haven't been as potent there this year. And so they've, they haven't, I guess that's one of the things that, that when you play six games in 16 days, you don't have a lot of op- opportunities to just sit there and practice about on and work on some of the things that you're, where you're lacking mm-hmm. uh, because you're constantly in game prep mode. So that's what this, these couple of practices ahead of Providence on Saturday have afforded th- that opportunity to Creighton to work on some of those things. Uh but I don't know, man, when, when, when Creighton's winning games where it's shooting 40% and 35%, um, like the Jays are going to feel really good about that. <laughs> like if they're, they've out, they've out rebounded three big East teams 
in a row. Uh, they've um, they've won a rebounding game in, in three games in a row against Big East teams. That hasn't happened in six years. To, just to have three straight like that, um, winning games where I think they've. I, I want to say it was either the eighth or the ninth game in McDermott's tenure when Creighton won a game despite shooting less than 40% when it beat Xavier. Um, so that element of kind of showing some grit and tenacity and finding, you know, hustling your way to rebounds, winning those 50-50 ball battles, um, just just figuring that out to sort of like grit your teeth and get a key defensive stop when the game momentum's kind of teetering. You can just sort of sense it and, hey, this is an important possession we got to get a stop. That was one of the things, like, in that Xavier game, I think in the final, oh, what was it, three or four minutes or so, Xavier had the ball down uh, it, in a one-possession game. So Xavier has the ball, one-possession game, what happens? Um, and it had it was three different instances of that, and, and Creighton got to stop each time. So that, that's that's crucial stuff right there that it analytically – it's stuff, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, so they're they're excited about that. I think just their ability to turn it on defensively when they know that they need to, um, and and then obviously they hope they can get their offense going. Yeah, so. rock, you know, winning rock fights, which every you know in the NCAA tournament you have to usually win one or two of those. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in, and in Big East play, you got to win probably uh, to win a title. Probably got to win four or five of them, mm-hmm. maybe. So, uh, and and they they lost a shootout already to Marquette. That's not normally typical of what of what Creighton does. But I think of last year they 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 were in a shootout with Georgetown on the road. They lost that, but they won every other game that sort of favored them stylistically. And then they won a couple grinders that they needed to sort of eke out and find a way to win um, late in the year. Marquette on the road was big and, and even the Seton Hall game at home was a really like slow paced sort of drag out street fight type game until like the final five or six minutes when Creighton went wild and made every shot and, and extended the lead to double digits. But before that it was, it was, it was a grinder and the Jays, you know, they did enough to win that. So if they've got that in their makeup, and I think that's really encouraging for this group because they they know that if they can get their offense going and they you know hit stretches where they streak and um, and surge and start pouring in like twenty points and twelve possessions or something like that, then they can really separate themselves and, and get some easy wins. So we'll see what they do against Providence. Providence is notoriously made it tough on Creighton to settle in, to find a rhythm offensively last year. Um, I thought it was actually the other end of the floor where, where what stood out to me more was Providence just give, giving Creighton a lot of issues defensively uh, with the way it runs its offense. Cause it's got guys that can attack down low and it's hard to defend Providence one-on-one. They, they just claw the paint and you have to in turn clog the, and then that leaves open jump shots and Providence isn't a great shooting team, but if you give even an average shooting team open looks, you can get burned and Creighton got burned last year against the Friars. Um, they shot like 48% from three in two games against Creighton. And it, like we're talking a ton of threes. I think, I think they made 12 in one game and 13 in another game. I mean, it was, 
or maybe it was 12 and 11 or something like that. You know, it was, it was a large number of threes that, that Providence hit against Creighton. Um, and obviously Creighton survived with a last second shot from Marcus Sekorowski in the first one last year and, and lost by double digits at Providence. So it's, this is going to, it's going to be a tough matchup for, for the Jays on Saturday, but it's an important one because both teams are three and one Seton Hall's kind of emerging as a, a top half contender in the big East at four and one Pro- Villanova hasn't lost yet. UConn feels like a team that's going to be in the top half. Like if you're Creighton, you don't want to drop games to teams that maybe won't be there. Um, I think Providence probably will, but um, it's, it's important to stay with these guys, you know, like, if Seton Hall's four and one, you want to be four and one. Villanova's four and zero, you want to be right there with them. So uh, even early in the year, the race is on. Goes by Villanova in it, uh, as well it should be, right? Like that's that's where that's what counts. Is is I mean they're the they're the best program in the league or the treadmill program, whatever. But yeah, I, I suspect like as as time goes on, like let's just say seven years from now, you're covering this team and. You look back and say, okay, over the first, I don't know, 12, 13 years of the league, what is Creighton's record at Providence? And it's going to be seven and six. <laughs> you know, right. It's not, it's, or eight and five. It's, you know, DePaul, I, have, have they lost to DePaul yet since they joined the Big East? I don't even know. Oh, man, that's a good question. I feel like they might have at the start, maybe, maybe not. Sam, I don't there's there's going to be games where like there's going to be series where you know maybe like DePaul, like St. John's until St. John's figures it out, where you can go win and with consistency. But I think there's but, and then there's going to be ones where you're like if we won two games in ten years we've done something and that's Villanova, or for some programs that's Creighton, um, and then there's those games in the middle where the difference between a good season and a great season will be. Did you win at Providence? Did yep. you win at Connecticut? Uh, did you win at Butler? And Creighton's kind of been hot and cold at Butler over the years. Um, I, I don't think you'll ever apologize. I don't think Creighton will ever apologize for beating Connecticut at Connecticut. I know that that's not the same program it was, I don't know, eight years ago or something. But um, anytime you can go there and win a game, it, it, it should feel like you did you, you you did something significant. And so I know I watched that game more than the, the Xavier one. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think a two-point win is just fine coming out of there. Yeah, no matter how you get it. Even, <laughs> oh, even if yeah. you, have, you have more turnovers than assists and, you know, there's scoring droughts. And you're, I think Creighton might have missed – gosh, Sam, what was it? Like three of 18 from three after halftime or something yeah. like that? Maybe missed its final 11 threes. Right. And a lot of those were good looks. but. You got the win, and you got lucky a little bit because that R.J. Cole from UConn missed those two free throws um, with 10 seconds left in regulation to give the opportunity for Creighton to tie the game and force overtime. But still, the Jays um, were, you know, they executed well enough and and did a lot of the little things in that game. And and against Xavier, too, did a lot of the little things. It's interesting watching Creighton, and especially match up against some other teams, um, that are still maybe finding themselves or maybe a little bit less experienced. You just see moments in games where uh, what Creighton has practiced clearly is being translated to the floor, um, whether it's Mitch Ballack rotating over and, you know, 
jumping up, jumping straight up uh, with, with with that verticality. They, I mean, they 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 run those verticality drills all the time in practice. So doing that, um, they got a key lob pass to to Christian Bishop in, in that overtime against UConn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the their connectivity and being in the right spot against Xavier defensively and and finding their way to different defensive rebounds. Um, you, you saw bodies on bodies, then like Marcus Zagorowski flying in to grab a offensive or grab a defensive board. Like that's exactly how they draw it up. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys clear out these big dudes and then we'll let our guards come and grab these boards. Um, and, and that's what happened late in the game against Xavier. So I, they, they're doing a lot of the things they want to do. It's just, the shots aren't falling as consistently as they have been um, over the last couple of years. And Greg McDermott said, he's not worried about it. Like they, they've got good shot selection. So um, players like Marcus Zagorowski, Mitch Ballack have the track record. They're going to knock these down when they get them. So um, when they, when they do Creighton, you know, rises to that upper echelon at this point, you know, against UConn and, and Xavier, when those shots weren't falling, creating a little vulnerable, but it found a way to, to get it done. Uh, when those threes start hitting and they start going consistent, that was one of the things about this team last year, Sam, is like they didn't have a lot of off-shooting nights. Right. Um, they had a lot of great shooters. I mean, they had even more last year than they do this they, year. Right. They were just consistent with it, you know? So um, they were somewhere in that 35 to 45 range from three-point land, like yeah. every game, it seemed like. And so uh, if they can get back to that, which is it's possible um, because Denzel Mahode is sh- shooting 40% so far and Mitch Ballack and Marcus Zagorowski are career 40% three-point shooters. Da- Damian Jefferson has um, improved his jump shot from, from long range as well. So they definitely can get there, but um, they haven't been there yet. And so it's kind of a, we'll see what they can do. Mahoney ranks up there as one of the greatest <laughs> – transfer pickups uh creighton history i mean that's not one that uh and especially in terms of saying like where did you how did you find this dude or like he's from semo you know like yeah who would have thought that this guy fits what you do you know um he had good numbers I'm not, I'm not saying that he's not a good player or he wasn't a good player there, but it's just like, it just seems like so random. Oh, uh, Denzel Mahoney, Marcus Foster made a ton of sense. Creighton recruiting him out of high school. He chose, he was down to Creighton, Kansas state. He chose Kansas state. Want to play in the big 12. Well, Creighton goes to the big East. Things don't work out. at K-State. boom, he's over at Creighton. Like a lot of those stories make sense, but Denzel, it's like, what, what this dude. And I mean, yeah, he's, been an impact player on both sides of the ball so far this year. He's, pro- he's probably been their best player. Like he's their MVP so far um, with what he's done defensively. And uh, you know, the, the plays that he's made late in games on offense, like he was critical in overtime against UConn and against Xavier. He had that big and one when it was a one point game and stretch it to four um, against Kansas. Obviously they didn't, Creighton didn't win that game, but he was, I mean, he willed them back into it when it looked like it was done in the final 90 seconds or whatever. So he's been huge for him. And and he's, he's such a different player, Sam, because like he is really long and he's strong, but he doesn't like, he's not going to dunk on you, you know, and he's not going to blow by you uh, with a huge, ex- like a, an explosive first step or something. But um, he's, 
really clever in how he can get downhill and get his uh, find an open window for jump shots. And um, he's got a lot of confidence, a lot of confidence. <laughs> so does Damian Jefferson. And I know how they got him, right? I mean, I know how they got him. But um, I think what's what's interesting about Creighton is uh, the way that they put their roster together, the players that they get, and the way that those pieces fit together is a, what I what I think when you realize when you watch Creighton and then you kind of learn the backstory of how they got the players, you realize that roster management and recruiting and those things are way big, much bigger part of coaching than what happens on game day. Mm. And not that game day isn't important and not that McDermott hasn't had good or bad games on game day. I mean, there's certainly to be said, and it's more true in football than it is in basketball, but roster management is really important. And it's something that Creighton does really well. Like that's where I think they get their, their edge is that um, if you told me that, well, the, the top seven players on this team are a kid from Lawrence, Kansas, a kid from Kansas city, um, a transfer from SEMO, a transfer from New Mexico. Um, Zagorowski's from Massachusetts. Okay. Yep. So Marcus Zagorowski makes sense why he's good. You know, he's always been good, um, but wasn't the number one guy. Um, a transfer from where's Antoine Jones from again? Memphis. Memphis. And then uh, a center from St. Louis. I don't think you're telling me that's the top 15 team, but it is, you know, like if you just gave me those broad descriptions, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's what that team is, but it is. And it's not just because the summer grade and the parts, the parts are really good. And that's how they do it. Like it's, it's, it's a secret sauce that they figured out how to put together a roster. And, you know, Hoiberg had that at Iowa state. He really did. It was, it, I mean, you can't, you can disassemble his rosters and say, ah, eh. I mean, there's NBA players on it, but there were guys, there were role players that were elite too and perfect fits. And I think that's the thing for Hoiberg and Alto Massey at Nebraska is they're still working on that. The sum greater than the part stuff where, it, you know, do you have all the right pieces? And that's the piece where Creighton, you know, they got Doug and they, they had the, they had the Doug era that bled over into the big East. And then they had those couple down years where they obviously didn't have good enough players to compete. And then they found a way to find them. And that's what Nebraska, that's Nebraska's on that developmental scale. I mean, they, they just have to, they have to find the right pieces. And Damian Jefferson three years ago is Damian Jefferson. Now he's a way better player now. Right. So, you know, that's, that's where Nebraska is in the developmental process. And like, again, you hope, that three years from now, when all the pieces start to fall into place for Nebraska, it looks the way Creighton has done it, where you're not, you don't necessarily have a bunch of five stars, although Nebraska will have at least one, but you have players who complement each other. And right now, the complementary piece just doesn't seem to be there. All right, before we go, Sam, you brought up an issue. Denzel Mahoney, best transfer in the McDermott era. You ready to go that far? Because I got Mo Watson. Marcus Foster, Echenique. Yeah, I wouldn't say Echenique. Um, I, I mean, it kind of depends on where they go from here. Uh, Watson was a unique player who unfortunately got hurt. If, 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 if Watson completes his career, he's the, yes. he's the best transfer addition probably in Creighton history. Yes. 
I agree with that. Uh, I would put I, now, you know, Marcus Foster may be a better individual player than Mahoney, but I think if you look at the way Mahoney fits into what they're doing now, Foster, uh, you know, Foster is a, is a little bit like Teddy in the sense that when you add a player like that, part of your energy and your bandwidth as a team goes to letting them do whatever the hell they're going to do. You know? Yeah. Marcus Foster did that. Like he, he would dribble, 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 step back three, hit it. And that's fine. But, and he made the shot, but it's a, again, when you're, when you're adding players like that and then when they got in the tournament, yeah, you know. So well, yeah, what happened when when it was when he didn't have it? No, yeah. and I, so you know that kind of thing. I, think, I, I I do think they have had to train some of that out of Denzel, honestly, uh, and he's been open to it. Obviously, right. he like he sees what the blueprint is and how it works, but you know he was the ball dominant top scoring option, right? At at Simo, and came to Creighton and had to sort of fit his fit himself into the puzzle, and I think he's still finding that a little bit, but it, it seems to be a little, a little bit of a more natural transition. And honestly with Marcus Foster, like he had to learn it too. And, and toward the end of his senior year, I thought he had kind of settled in, but um, they certainly didn't have, they were a lot more reliant on him scoring the ball than this Creighton team is on Denzel Mahoney scoring um, the, the, the ways that he can impact the game and other, in other facets particularly on defense um, and his ability to rebound and set guys up. Yeah. We'll talk about this another day, but obviously Doug has earned the designation as the best player in his father's coaching era. I mean, he's earned that. Um, Number two is tricky. And it certainly isn't the guy that got picked in the NBA draft. No offense to him, but it's not Justin Patton. So we'll have to talk about that. Like, Mm. Well, and well, I have to see how this, how this season rank in the top five, and that's not Patton's fault. He was only there for one year, but yeah, we have to see how this season plays out. Because yeah. Doug, Doug's number one, and Doug deserves number one. But uh, right, um, and as a transfer piece, I think what Grant Gibbs added to the program in both his on court play and also the 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 you know the the chemistry piece with him was important. You know, I think he brought some good things out in people. So mm-hmm. Grant was an important transfer, even if, you know, there were games where he didn't play or, you know, he wasn't quite the same player. He probably was in high school. Um, Gibbs just added a little extra element to the point where Doug was willing to give up his own scholarship to keep Grant. So, well, and I feel like a so. guy like Marcus Zagorowski has that same sort of intangible. He's, 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 he's left the program or, or impacted the program from an intangible standpoint in that similar way that Gibbs had. Um, and, and Marcus has obviously the stats to sort of back up his impact of like, Oh, this is the type of player he is, but like behind the scenes, his work ethic, his competitiveness, um, just his sort of, I want to grind and prove myself chip on the shoulder type thing like that has filtered into the rest of the team. And, and when he, when his career is done, whenever that is, we when we have an opportunity to sort of reassess that, I think you're going to see that have a pretty profound impact on the rise of Creighton or or whatever Creighton accomplished in his tenure and right. sort of arc of of where the Jays are um, in the Big East and under Coach McDermott. Like Marcus Zagorowski's impact, strictly 
as from a personality standpoint, similar to kind of how, how you're talking about Grant Gibbs, the way that he just affected things and from a chemistry standpoint and, um, you know, it, he was a beloved player, not just on the team, but among the fan base. And I feel like Marcus has a similar sort of impact in a different way, but um, a similar impact. But All right, Sam, we've talked long enough about some, uh, some hoops. We'll be back soon. I'm sure to break down the latest in uh, the seasons of Nebraska and Creighton. We'll see if the Huskers can uh, steal a win against one of the many, what are they at? Are they about to play like eight ranked teams in a row or something like that? I don't even know. I haven't looked. No, I know they have Purdue in there. The streak will end with after this one because they're going to play Purdue and Purdue's another game where I think Nebraska, I, I, you know, we'll see on Saturday. If Michigan State lays an egg like it has been, then Nebraska absolutely can win that game. Yeah. Um, we'll just have to see if Nebraska's ready to, to punch with a team that's probably going to punch. Uh, but I, again, they can beat Purdue. I mean, Purdue is, uh, they're a grinder team too, but on the right night, Nebraska can beat that team. Um, they have one really, really good player and Derek Walker will be available to, to guard Travion Williams. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yes. We will. We will. Derek Walker gets returns for Purdue. Purdue. Okay. So one more game. Right. Um, and, and the Jays are going to play uh, – so they're entering the grind of the Big East schedule where they're basically playing Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday with maybe one bye week in there in, in, or by day in there in January. So we're going to learn a lot about Creighton um, and really the Big East as a whole over the next month or so. So eager to find that out. Sam, thanks for your time. Thank you. Again, thanks for listening. We'll be back soon.